This is Women Blazers, and I'm your host, Deanna Witter. I'm excited to have Molly Wardot-Folt as our featured guest for this episode. In fact, we're at the, officially at the halfway point in season two. Now, Molly serves as the Vice President of Corporate Partnership Activation for Olympia Entertainment, which includes the Detroit Tigers of the MLB and Detroit Red Wings of the NHL. Molly shares her incredible experiences and learnings leading and growing in the sports industry. Powered by passion and by the incredible people she is surrounded by, she leads an amazing career in life that just keeps on giving. The Institute for Diversity and Ethics Research shows us actually that less than 25% of leadership roles in sports and entertainment are, are held by women which is, is to your point, um, not, not a great statistic and something that we definitely need to work on changing. Um, I think it just it goes back to sort of the, the saying of, if you see it, you can be it. And right now there are just not enough women um, serving as role models in leadership positions. And so it's hard for young women to see the path to get there. I want to take a moment to thank Turnkey ZRG for supporting Women Blazers. Turnkey ZRG is a top talent search firm in sports, entertainment, and media. We appreciate Turnkey's role in advancing gender equity in our industry. So Molly, you went to Ohio University, got your bachelor's degree in psychology, and finished with a business degree in sports administration. We'll love to hear about your college path and what was your original vision for your career when you were um, when you're at OU? Well, it was definitely not to uh, go into sports and entertainment. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have been an athlete all my life. I was a Division One lacrosse player, but you know, to your point, I uh, I had a degree in psychology and uh, a minor in business, and I actually wanted to be an FBI profiler if I'm being honest. <laughs> wow. That's incredible. Yes. Very different. Um, but uh, as I was approaching the end of my senior year, I realized that there was going to be an extensive amount of time needed and dedicated towards taking that path. And I just kind of decided that maybe that wasn't the right, the right direction for me. Um, so I decided to go on and, and get my, my MBA first and while I was in my MBA program, uh, sort of the individuals that I really gravitated towards in the fall of that first year um, were the students who were actually part of the dual degree program, meaning they were both an MBA student as well as in their second year, they were going on to uh, gain their master's in sports administration. Um, and just little things like I, you know, I'd say, what are you guys doing on Friday nights? And they'd say, oh, well, we have to work the football game and we're helping with on-field promotions or we're rolling the nets up and down for field goals or things like that. And I thought, well, gosh, that's really cool. That sounds you awesome. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, well, I'll come and help out. And through that, while I, as I mentioned, have always been involved in sports, I've always had a passion for sports from a playing perspective and a viewing perspective, I never fully was aware or really understood the business side of it. So it sort of opened my eyes to it, which ultimately led me to then go on and get my master's in sports administration as well, prior to div diving into the industry as a whole. 
Well, that's cool. I mean, it really proves that you got to have good friends that are doing cool stuff in college to help inspire you. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. That is, that is so true. So after graduation, you land your first opportunity with the Miami Dolphins and their marketing um, and marketing partnerships. You know, how did you land this first role and what did you learn from your time with the Dolphins? One of the greatest things that they say about the Ohio University Sports Administration Program is the alumni network that is is part of that that group. And I was able to connect with a woman by the name of Jennifer Sergalski, who now is the Senior Director of Strategic Project Development for the Dallas Cowboys. Um, and she actually hired me into that role. Uh, she is also an OU Sports Ad alum, uh, had graduated a few years before myself, and um, you know, really took a chance on somebody coming out of the program. And uh, we have developed a great relationship. She has become a great friend and mentor of mine. Um, you know, and through her leadership and through my time in that role, I'd say my biggest takeaway really was uh, that that mistakes are going to happen in your career, and it's all about how you respond to them. I can recall a specific instance where I had made a, a mistake, and mm-hmm. uh, it was a it was a last minute thing that needed to get done, and the way that she responded to my error was just um, really refreshing. And, you know, she didn't dwell on it. It wasn't, you know, up in arms or angry about the situation. She got right down to what the root of the problem was and figuring out a solution. Um, So that's always stuck with me uh, Mm -hmm. just throughout my career, because I just think that that's really important because mistakes are going to happen and it's just all deal with them. Absolutely. And what a, what a great example of leadership that she presented to you in those moments, you know, um, that you clearly, like you said, have, have carried on in your career and, and the takeaways of that experience with the Dolphins. And I also like how you touched on the network um, that was there at, at Ohio University and how you benefited from that w- network. Um, something that's really important when we choose our college um, path, especially in the sports industry. This is very you know, an industry that's built off relationships. And so if some of those are already like automatically plugged into your college program, like you have to take advantage of those. Absolutely. It's, it's really important. And I think as they, you know, as going through the program, they stress the emphasis of, um, you know, the importance of that network. And that carries so far beyond just what you're doing in college or in grad school, right? Like emphasizing the network beyond that when you get into your career, whether it is sports or whether it is another industry, um, the, the power of networking, I think we talk about it a lot, but the power of networking is so strong. So after a year in Miami, you make a move back um, up to the Midwest and you joined the Detroit Red Wings, where you were a manager of ticket services and retention. Now, what inspired that move for you? Uh, in all honesty, um, I was getting married. So my husband had matched for his residency program here in Detroit with Henry Ford Health Systems. And, um, you know, I, I, we were moving up here no matter what. So I was in search of a job. Um, and when the opportunity presented itself with the wings, I was not totally sold on going to making the move. I'll call it from the sponsorship <laughs> side of the business to the ticketing side of the business. Um, it obviously is very different. Um, my passion lies in sponsorship. Obviously that's, that's where my role is today. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm certainly happy that I did uh, take that role in that opportunity because as we know, ticketing is the lifeblood of any sports or entertainment organization. And the fact that I had the opportunity very early on in my career to learn that 
that side of the business. Um, and, and that role also gave me my first role and opportunity in, in a leadership and a management role. Um, I'll, I'll take that with me for forever. And I'm really appreciative of that opportunity. Well, that's, that's great. And, you know, making moves um, because you want to or making moves, you know, obviously for your relationships happen all the time. And I think as women, we're always faced with some of those um, complexities of our life and our lifestyle. And we'll get into lifestyle later, but um, it's great that you were able to make a move um, and find something and land something that connected with what you do, even though it wasn't exactly up the path that you wanted, you still took this opportunity and saw a potential of growth um, in the area of the business that, like I said, that you probably weren't initially connected with, which is great. Definitely. I mean, one of the things that I talk about all the time when I give sort of the background of my career is sometimes your path is going to take you in a direction you didn't want to go or you didn't think you would be going. And sometimes those paths lead you in the best direction possible. And like I said, I that, while it wasn't initially where I wanted to be or what I wanted to be doing, um, I learned a significant amount from that opportunity and I'll, I carry it with me to today. As you mentioned in this role, this is this, this opportunity led to your first leadership um, opportunity. So you moved into this manager position of, um, in ticket services from marketing partnerships. How was that transition for you? How did you tackle this opportunity without going up that traditional ticket sales background? It's a, it's a great question. Um, you know, I, for me, it was the opportunity to take on something new and to learn a new challenge. One of the things that has always been, I guess, kind of what my guiding light or my gold star is for me is my North star, I guess, is, you know, being able to, to take on new opportunities and new challenges. And so I, I tend to dive in head first when I get into those types of situations. Uh, I try to learn as much as I can, as quickly as I can. Um, I educated myself, as, you know, on, on what the ticket service side of the business was there, what it was from an industry perspective. I tell this funny story. One of the very first days um, I was on the job in that role, uh, I had a pretty interesting learning experience um, about, you know, doing my homework and making sure I knew what I was talking about. I was talking mm -hmm. to a client online, or excuse me, on, on the phone, and um, we were talking about something and, and, and I, I said, I can't remember what this specific topic was, but I said, well, you know, we, we you can, you can use your cup holder. It was something to the reference of a cup holder. <laughs> and the client said to me, have you he literally said to me, have you been to Joe Lewis arena? And I said, well, yeah, you know, I, I, I work in Joe Lewis arena. He said, we don't have cup holders here. <laughs> And it was a great learning experience for me because I realized really quickly, gosh, I haven't done as much homework as I need to do. Something as simple as just getting out into the bowl, walking it, taking a look. What are the right. amenities? What aren't the amenities? So um, I, I, I have learned a lot from that day <laughs> because <laughs> I was put into my place very quickly by a client. Um, but again, like, like I said, it's just it was important for me to dig in, learn a lot, um, and, and lean on the people that were around me, because I certainly wasn't the expert. And um, to this day, certainly as, as new projects come about, like lean on the folks that are around you that, that have the expertise and can teach you. And that's why you surround yourself with great people. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I love that. I love your I love your story and your example. I mean, you really do have to immerse yourself into the experience of what you're selling and what you're servicing, obviously, in this example. And, um, and I also like that your story reflects like in this business, especially if you're in sales and service, 
Um, it's all about the details. I mean, something so small as a cup holder, you know? Right. <laughs> like the, the, those are details, right, that you would even consider in the bigger scheme of, like, somebody's experience. But um, they do. They do matter. And so you have to you have to understand and become an expert on those details um, and see how those carry you through in some of those conversations, but also the opportunities as you present forward. After a couple of years in this role, you you grew into the director of ticket sales and corporate partnership marketing. But like, you know what? This girl has something. We're going to add marketing, corporate marketing. <laughs> you know how I can't imagine having my foot in two different departments like this. Um, curious how you you juggled the responsibilities of this role. And, you know, what did you enjoy most about about that opportunity? This was really an interesting transition because um, then, and honestly, I'm not even sure today, many organizations have a similar role where somebody is overseeing the ticket servicing side of the business, as well as what I'll call the partnership activation side of the business. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, I, what, what happened was at the time when I originally took the role on the ticketing side, there was no service and retention department. We were coming off, you know, a, a significant number of years with an extensive waiting list. And, um, you know, when I got there in 08, we had just won the cup. And so there was never really this focus or emphasis on needing to service and retain customers because we had such a long wait list. Um, and, and at the time, honestly, for, for the business and the industry as a whole, service and retention was not really a thing yet. Um, so I had the opportunity to take my learnings and what I was able to do on the ticketing side of the business and really replicate that um, in, in some fashion on the partnership activation side of the business. Um, up into the point of my transition, most of our activation was being done by the sales team. And so today we think, gosh, well, that seems a little bit crazy. Like you need different people to sell and drive new revenue versus people who are sort of executing and activating and servicing these clients. But back then for us, um, it was really managed by the same team. So I was able to bring and implement um, you know, simple things like a touchpoint program, for example, that seems, you know, very small, but goes a long way on, you know, both with both clientele, you know, experiential client in- entertainment opportunities, like what are we doing to really drive value for our clients? It's different for a, you know, business to consumer type of opportunity versus a business to business opportunity. But there were a lot of things that I could replicate because there were a lot of similarities. So um, it, it was it was a great time. It was a lot of work. Um, but again, <laughs> I just I go back to the people and having great people that you work with day in and day out who are dedicated to what the vision is that you're trying to pull together. Um, that's what makes it all happen. Yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. And that's a lot. Well, it set you up basically, you know, to be prepared to lead at the next level. And so now you serve as the VP of partnership activation for Olympia Entertainment. Um, What was your approach uh, to growth into this position? um, And then that you have today? And then what does your role encompass across Olympia's portfolio? So I've said it twice, but I'll say it. <laughs> a third time, um, I, and this is—I probably sound like a broken record, but I really mean it. Like, my approach both is is really about the people. Um, I I really put a strong emphasis on hiring great people, on you know treating people with respect, and making sure that like vision and mission is communicated very clearly, so that we're all rowing the boat in the same direction, this towards the same common goal. And um, I don't think I would be where I am today if it wasn't for the people that 
um, sort of I have surrounded myself with, whether that's colleagues within my own department, whether that's colleagues that I've had the opportunity to work with outside of my department, or, you know, it's folks in the business, you know, like yourself, who um, I learn from every single day. So again, I know I sound like a broken record, but, but it really is the people for me. Um, it, to answer your question about what my role encompasses, um, I, really, I oversee all of partnership activation for Olympia's portfolio for our properties. So we have Little Caesars Arena and the Red Wings. We have Comerica Park and the Tigers. We have the Fox Theater, which is one of the three remaining original Fox Theaters in the country. And then we have the District Detroit. When the District Detroit is um, a 50 block, um, what is beginning to be built out entertainment district in and around our sporting and entertainment venues in downtown Detroit. Um, so we have, you know, obviously world-class venues. We have 500, a little over 500 total events annually on a non-COVID year, right? <laughs> and, you know, we wow. have about 14 million people who are coming through the District of Detroit every year. So um, my team and I are responsible for ensuring that all of our partners across our entire portfolio uh you know, really have an engaging opportunity to engage with our consumers, to um, accomplish their KPIs, whatever that may be, um, and and really bring customized experiences to our fan base. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, it's it's all about the fans, right? And that's what partners want access to. Um, so yeah, so that that's what our team is all about. I mean, I will say, so I'm from I'm from Michigan, as you know, and you know, growing up there you know, when I was younger and even through college, you didn't go downtown. Right. And mm -hmm. now thanks to, you know, Olympia entertainment, the Illich family, um, even my old owner at the Cavs, the, you know, the Gilberts, mm -hmm. um, you know, truly transforming downtown Detroit. And I think district Detroit and what you were talking about at the end was so important to hear the number of people who are going through Detroit, going to little Caesars arena. You know, it is absolutely incredible to see the transformation of that city and going downtown and, you know, going to, going to games and uh, going to concerts, um, hitting up casinos. Um, it is, it is just an amazing experience. And I, I'd imagine that I, you know, you feel the same way I feel when you go to a city, it's like, you're truly a part of doing something that's so much bigger than sports. Mm -hmm. um, you're transforming communities and how powerful that is all through the power of sports. It, it's so true. And, and, uh, as much uh, certainly the Illich family and, and the Gilberts absolutely have been so dedicated to the city, the people in the community, whether they live downtown or they live in the suburbs, they have been so dedicated to our sports teams. Yes. And, you know, despite the ups and downs that we have gone through and more recently, unfortunately, a little bit more downs and ups, but, um, you know, we're, we're on our, on the track back, but they've been so committed. And so to be able to give back and provide just memorable experiences for those folks um, through our venues and through our teams, it's just, is so important. Yes. Yes. And you brought up the word people again. So that's like the fifth time. <laughs> okay. We're going to keep it tally. Love, no, because there's, a, there's a theme here, you know, there's a consistency, which is really important is understanding that people are the greatest asset you have, you know, people and that's, you know, where you, who you work with, um, who work for you and also the people who make up the community that you're serving. I mean, everybody is an asset um, and really filter back into what you do um, and the happiness and what you do. So I think that's fantastic. And, um, we can't lose sight of that. And I think you bring it up multiple times to just prove that you can't lose sight.
how important uh, people play in our lives and, and what we do. So now transitioning here a little bit, um, just talking about, you know, you're in this vice president uh, position and, you know, we, we talk about it all the time. Um, for those that you don't, that don't know, Molly and I actually both serve um, as founding governing board members of the Pro Sports Assembly. And it's an organization that's member led that brings together to help move our industry forward. And one of the areas that we've been really focused in on is sort of the development of uh, diverse leadership in our industry. And so when we talk about women in VP positions, we do know that um, we're seeing growth in this area um, in the industry, but we still have a long way to go before we stop counting how many women are at these tables at each organization. So what are some of the challenges you've identified, Molly, um, facing women in leadership um, who are looking to break through? What are some of those things and um, any advice there or any thoughts that, that we should pursue? Yeah, it's, um, it's definitely, you're right. It, it is trending in a positive direction. Um, the Institute for Diversity and Ethics Research shows us actually that less than 25% of leadership roles in sports and entertainment are, are held by women, which is, is to your point, um, not, not a great statistic and something that we definitely need to work on changing. Um, I think it just it goes back to sort of the, the saying of, if you see it, you can be it. And right now there are just not enough women um, serving as role models in leadership positions. And so it's hard for young women to see the path to get there just as it is for minorities, right? Like um, it, we just are not doing a good enough job as a sports and entertainment industry, putting individuals in these positions um, to, to present a more diverse workforce, which we should. And the reality is, is that diverse workforces um, and organizations are 15% more likely to outperform financially. So if, if we want to take aside the, the doing the right thing, because that's mm -hmm. ultimately at the end what, what it's about, and we want to look at straight at the numbers, there is a financial impact to making these moves. So I think when you ask, like, what are the things that, that we can do to change this? I think organizationally, we need to change our mindset. We need to change the mindset and think differently when it comes to hiring practices. Don't always, we talked about the, the strength of networks in the beginning of mm -hmm. our conversation. And while those networks are so good, a lot of times your network tends to look and feel a lot like who, whom you are, who you are. And so when we go back to our network, it is going to cause us to really need to think outside the box and think differently and bring people into our organizations that are from all different walks of life, have many different backgrounds and experiences. Because when we come together at the table with a multitude of backgrounds, we're ultimately going to do better for our organizations. So um, I think it just really comes down to having an emphasis from a cultural perspective. Like organizations have to be committed to having a more diverse workforce. It's beyond just women. Right. And um, right. certainly this is specifically, obviously, our topic is about women, but um, but it is beyond that. And like if we can't change culturally from or an organizational perspective, we're not going to get there. No, I, I, I can agree more. And, you know, it's going to take um, in, intentional efforts and it, it definitely does. And I like what you brought up about the network as well, like even us as women, sort of the role we play 
is thinking through your network. Um, so often our relationships sort of drive um, next opportunities, as we were talking about even in the very beginning of this conversation. You know, a woman recorded, you know, recruited you from OU to Miami. Um, you know, so there's, there's a, you know, you can see the connections there a little bit um, in, in most people's stories. It requires, you know, for us to get outside of our comfort zone and build networks um, in, in areas and with people that you tend, you tend to, you know, again, nat naturally, maybe you might not think you would connect with. And mm -hmm. as you sort of build this relationship and sort of peel back the layers, you're going to notice that you guys, you both have a common denominator. You love sports. You want to, you know, work with great people. You want to drive, you know, organizational success um, for clubs and community. And you're going to, you're going to bond it, you know, through that. And then talking about mentorship, you know, it, it, I love that you brought that up. Um, and, and again, expanding on the network um, piece is um, going back to season one and episode 12, I had this great conversation with Jody Bonas, um, uh, and she shared that you were one of her mentors and they're in the wings. And now she serves as the vice president, um, you know, for Colorado Avalanche. And so um, what does mentorship mean to you and how do you sort of dedicate or carve out time to have these relationships, as you said, um, sort of lifting people up um, in those moments where you see potential? Uh, well, gosh, I, it brings a smile to my face to hear Jody's name um, because <laughs> she is, she was an amazing, amazing people to work with, but more importantly, she's just an amazing person. And so that is really, I feel really honored that she looks at me as a mentor. Um, when I think about mentorship, you know, it's, it's really giving back to the folks who are eager and want to grow and develop and be a part of this business moving forward. Um, I think back to folks like Jennifer that I mentioned in the beginning of, of our conversation. And, and I've had a, a couple of mentors throughout my career. Um, my my uh, boss that I had for about eight years, Craig Turnbull, was a mentor of mine um, at, at Olympia. And, you know, when I look at what it means to be a mentor, um, you know, it's a, it's a two way street. And that's the reality is um, I try to carve out um, time for two to three individuals each year to mentor. Um, but what I really look for, not only somebody who's obviously dedicated and, and wants to grow and develop in this business, but also somebody who's really ready to walk that two way street. You know, I think about I have I have expectations like. You know, if we set a monthly call, um, I have the expectations that like you're going to come to the call with like questions that I can help you with. Um, right. Because this is about opportunities for them to grow, to develop, to learn, whether that's personal things, whether that's professional things. But like, I don't want to get on a call and just, you know, talk about the weather for 30 minutes to an hour. <laughs> you know, there's right. a woman that I, I mentor now um, from Cincinnati FC, and she is amazing. And I couldn't think of like a more perfect mentee um, than, than my time and my work with her because she's so prepared. She's dialed in, you know, she, she does. It's like what you talk, we talk about like the, um, ideal candidate in, in, in an interview, right? She's done her research. She knows, you know, what are the things that are going on in my world? I know the things that are going on in her world, uh, just the opening of the new stadium, right? All those kinds of things. Um, and so she kind of, she walks that two-way street really, really well. So I, that's, that's kind of what I, um, what I look for. It's definitely important to me because giving back is so important to me because so many people have helped me get to where I am. 
No, that's, that's fantastic. And I love that you, that you even are like, you have it sort of organized for yourself. So it works with your, your, your lifestyle, like, okay, I'm going to carve out, you know, enough time to dedicate this two-way conversation or two-way relationship um, and mentorship uh, relationship with, with three different people. Um, I think Mm -hmm. that's, that's awesome. And it keeps things, like I said, organized for you so you can manage it and make it valuable for both of you. Um, I, you know, myself, yes, I, I, I too have, um, some, some ongoing conversations with, with mentors, mentees in in this scenario. And what I, what I always like to, to your point, like how I measure if it's good is okay. So we have a monthly call. If when we talk, it feels like we just talked yesterday and it doesn't feel like we have to like repick up, you know, some of the details before we talk again, because there's a consistency. We know what's going on with each other. Um, and that we both walk away from the call, um, feeling value, you know? Um, and I think that that's, that's a big component of it. I like to start out sort of the initial conversation with mentees as like a, I look at it as like a discovery sales call, right? You know, you want (laughs) to kind of find out the ins and outs about the person, what makes them tick? Like, where do they want to go? What do they want to do? And then try to shape whether it's, you know, a monthly call or whatever it might be, a bi-monthly call um, around sort of what their goals and objectives are. Because you're right, maybe there are some mentees who are interested in just figuring out, like, how do I break into the business? Or they may already be in the business. And so I want, I work in ticketing and I want to learn how to get to partnerships, right? Like everybody's goals, just like every client's goals are different. Um, It's important to kind of start with that discovery call so we can make sure that we're charting that path forward appropriately for the individual. Each episode we talk about lifestyle and I said that I was going to bring this up later in the conversation. So I know you're a mother. I know you're a wife. You already spoke about moving to Detroit uh, for your husband's, um, also his career as well. So you know, how do you structure your life so- lifestyle so that it works for you and your family? It's a great question. You know, everybody talks about, you know, work-life balance and how do you balance it? I mean, honestly, I just, the reality is, is in this business, it, there's not a balance. <laughs> I like to look at it more like a juggling act than anything. Right. I mean, think about, um, think about how many events you have between Tigers, <laughs> Red Wings, yeah. you know, Detroit, the Detroit district events that you shared. And, you know, it's just, a, it's an amazing amount of events. I don't know if you go to them all, but when I think about your lifestyle versus let's say my lifestyle, that's crazy. <laughs> it, it is a lot of events now. Fortunately, I, I don't have to be at every single one of them because I, you know, I don't know if I would still be married if that were the case, <laughs> if I was gone, you know, almost 200 nights a year. But, um, but it is a juggling act, right? Like at some points, and it's unfortunate to say, but sometimes when, when work is up in the air and it's got to be a priority, unfortunately, like family may have to take a little bit of a backseat or vice versa. But what I always try to um, stick to is that family is always first. And so I realized my previous example maybe was, was a bit contradictory to that. But what <laughs> I mean by that is, you know, sometimes there's going to be a game and a game that I need to be at. And so, you know, being home with my family has to take a backseat to me being at a game or an event because it's important that I'm there. We have an important client. It's an important event for a client. Um, But at the end of the day, my family always comes first. If I were to go to that event and my kids were to be sick or something were to happen, I would leave because again, my family, my kids, my husband, they come first in my life. 
Um, and so for me, it's all about working for an organization that shares those same values, mm -hmm. that has this, you know, work hard, play hard kind of mentality that values the importance of, of family and personal time. And, you know, if I have to, you know, I have to run out because my kid has a doctor's appointment that that's like, that's acceptable. And because they know that I'm going to, you know, pop over my computer at 10 o'clock and, and hammer out a few things that I missed, you know, towards the end of the day. Um, so yeah, lifestyle is so important. And especially in our business, because it's very easy to get sucked into um, letting this business consume your life. And frankly, before I had kids, my, my identity was defined by my work. Mm -hmm. And I have taken, and especially in these last, you know, 16 months, I think a lot of people probably feel this way, have taken a step back and really reshifted focus to know that my identity is about who I am and who my family is and how we are, you know, as a family, as opposed to my work being my identity. So um, it's, it's definitely not an easy thing, but um, keeping your priorities is the most important. Yes, no, absolutely. And I, I think what you said there is, is so important because mentally, if you know that your family is your priority, but yet your time requires you to be at work, knowing that you've given yourself permission to drop everything for your family in those situations makes you feel um, maybe a little bit more of that balance in your heart <laughs> versus mm, yeah. in your time. And I think that there's something about that, that gives you that wholeness that you need. So you can pursue with the lifestyle because you're still dedicated. I mean, you're, you're clearly dedicated and love what you do and you're dedicated and love with your, and love your family. And both of those things can happen at the same time. And I think, you know, if you're in an organization where you don't have those examples of women who have children, I, I will say like, you know, in the beginning of my career, when I was with the Pacers, um, there wasn't a lot of women leaders, but the women leaders that were there didn't have children. And so mm -hmm. that just gave me this perception that it was almost impossible. Like you couldn't do it. And I would imagine there's some women who are listening to this thinking maybe in their current environment, they don't have that representation of a woman leader who has children and seeing them sort of doing that. And for me, um, one of the things that I've done um, intentionally um, is like, my Instagram page, if you, if you follow me on my personal Instagram, I am very intentional to show me interacting with my family. You're going to see my mm. kids, my husband, you know, if you follow my story, because I want you to see that, like, I do have a life. Like I'm also yes. like, I'm here all the time. I'm always working, but I do spend a lot of quality time with my children and I'm dedicated to creating the lifestyle where they know that they're valued and more valued than my work even though maybe in time, it doesn't seem that way always. So I'm intentional with that. And I want people to see that you can have both and that it can be very fulfilling. Yeah, hundred percent. I think we talk a lot about, you know, how do we, how do we show people coming up, right? The importance of having a balanced lifestyle and this whole concept around work-life balance. But I think your point about showing it to your family internally is equally, if not more important. Um, you know, there are many times we made a rule um, a while back that, you know, there's no cell phones. Our kids are already not allowed to have computers, of course, at the dinner table, but <laughs> we made a no cell phone at the dinner table rule. And because it was only fair, right? Our kids can't have tablets. We shouldn't have phones. Right. You know, and there are times when my kids call me out and say, hey, 
you know, no cell phones at the dinner table and just little things like that. It's like, oh my gosh. And I, I think back to uh, Tigers recently hired uh, this past off season, um, a new general manager and AJ Hinch. And he mm-hmm. had a conversation with our staff leading into opening day this year. And he shared with us, we asked him the same kind of work-life balance and he shared a great, great piece of philosophy with us. He said, you know, when I started out in baseball, my wife and I made a rule that when I came home, I was never going to be on the phone when I walked in the door. Mm. If that meant that I needed to finish a conversation outside for 10 minutes, then I needed to do that. But when I walked through the door, my sole focus was on my wife and on my kids and give them a hug and say hello and ask how their day was. And that is what I was like, oh my gosh, like for you know a, a baseball ops individual to be able to have that type of pr- perspective is incredible. And I just thought that was amazing. That is amazing. Thank you for sharing that. That's a good rule. Um, one, one I need to adopt. So I like that. Me too. <laughs> I haven't gotten there yet, but me too. <laughs> you know, looking back, let's, let's, let's think here for a second. So looking back on your career path today, you know, what has been one of the most memorable experiences that you've had? Um, you know, if I have to say, I I get asked this question a lot, um, and it probably is between two, I would say, um, the first is, um, executing and hosting the 2014 winter classic at Michigan stadium in Ann Arbor, despite my, you know, my passion and my love for the Ohio state Buckeyes, (laughs) it was, (laughs) it was an amazing event at an amazing venue. Um, you know, we leading up to to the actual Winter Classic on New Year's Day, we had spent essentially 20 to 30 days of programming at Comerica Park, you know, with with youth teams and college teams and community skates and all of these types of things. And it was a long, long month. But um, being able to see it come to fruition in the largest capacity, the largest crowd capacity that University of Michigan, Michigan Stadium has has ever held um, and literally like um, movie size snowflakes falling from the sky <laughs> in a like full whiteout, like it came to this amazing culmination and it was just, it was fantastic. But so I think that one, like, it sounds like, oh, like, it sounds like, uh, it sounds magical, like, like the Disney version of hockey, you know, it, it totally was. I mean, it was, it was like something that you see in a movie. I'm not joking. Like for those people who were able to experience it that day. And let me tell you, getting into that stadium and getting out from a traffic perspective was not great. But when you were in there, it was, it was incredible. And seeing all of that hard work pay off um, was just, was really a magical experience. Also looking back, you know, what do you wish you knew at the beginning of your career that you know now? Um, I, I, two things. Um, I, I really wish that I had had a better focus. We talked about uh, lifestyle and a balanced lifestyle previously. I really wish I had um, had a greater emphasis on work-life balance throughout my career, right? Like there's a lot of people out there who may not ever have kids or who may not, um, you know, get married or whatever the case may be. And like work-life balance isn't just about like carving out time for your kids or for your spouse, right? It's about doing things and taking the self-care that's needed for you, no matter where you are in your career, no matter where you are 
from you know a personal life perspective. Um, and so for me, I just wish I think back to you know before I had kids in my time in my career. Yes, of course, is it important to always put in the hours? And when you're starting out, you got to go above and beyond, and you better be the first to volunteer. And you know you're there early, you stay late, right? Like those are all just inherent to like you know growing your career. But like making sure that you don't lose sight of that healthy work-life balance because that is just so, so important. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really good shout there at the end, especially um, so often the conversation about work-life balance is specific to women who are married or have children, but you're absolutely right. It's, it's more about, you know, your happiness and the things that fulfill you outside of work. And I've had a number of conversations on this podcast. So if you're somebody who've, who's been listening from, you know, episode to episode, um, you've heard from other people who are not you know, married or maybe have children and talking about the things that they're doing to f- that fulfills them outside of work, like their workout r- regimen, you know, going to special, like, you know, seeking out foodie, you know, food experiences with friends and, and family. And, and my favorite that I'm always jealous of is when, when, you know, everybody's traveling and their travel excursion, something mm-hmm. that, I wish that I did, you know, before, you know, I had children, I, I, I didn't get to travel all that much. Um, and I think, you know, taking time to, you know, see the world and experience things, and especially um, a lot of us work in cities that we didn't grow up in. And so discovering the city that you're living in and serving, um, there's a lot of value in that, in the balance of self-care and um, feeling connected. So I, I love that, um, that last part, especially. And then to close it up, um, you know, what advice do you have for our listeners who are looking to build and grow their career in this industry? Never stop learning. We can always learn something new, no matter where you are in your career, no matter what position you hold within an organization. You know, I hear a lot of times people say, I, you know, I've kind of been there, done that, like I've reached my max in a particular role. And while that may be the case, you know, from uh, from a specific job responsibility perspective, but there's always things that you can be growing in and learning Um, above and beyond what you're doing now, whether that's internal to the work, you know, to, to your organization or your company, you know, go learn about how your data and analytics team, like, you know, in in my particular instance, for example, takes partner engagement impression data from our partner, um, our partner campaigns and analyzes it and figures out how they pull the story together. Go spend time with them on that because that's critical. That's the way forward from a sponsorship perspective. So learn that, ingrain yourself in that. It's it's something that you're probably not going to learn every day in, in the seat that you sit in or whether it's external to your organization, right? So, um, you know, read books. Uh, one of the things that uh, somebody told me along the way that I think is so important and while I, I don't abide by it every day, I try to do it a couple days a week is um, is in the morning carving out time to just read up on what is going on. Like there are so many things moving in our industry every single day that if you don't stay up to speed on the different technologies, the different things that are going on and, you know, maybe not even in your direct realm, like collegiate athletics and all the things that are going down around NIL, like those are all things that affect our industry and affect our business. And so staying up to speed on those is is really important. So, um, you know, just just never stop learning. Ask questions. Um, you know, your organization should support you in 
in wanting to learn more. So whether that's asking for a seat at the table in particular meetings where it's appropriate or asking to learn new things, like just it's incumbent upon everybody to continue to learn because there's so much out there that nobody has ever reached their, their absolute max potential in a particular area where they can't grow and develop anymore. So true. So true. Thank you so much, Molly, for that, that final advice, but also sharing your journey and your experiences and all the insights that you've gained throughout your career. And thank you for being on Women Blazers. Thanks for having me, Deanna. This was such a pleasure. Great catching up. Of course. Thank you. And that's a wrap on episode 30. Thank you to Molly for sharing her experiences and insights with all of us today. As a thank you, our friends at Turnkey ZRG has purchased a one-year membership for her to join the Pro Sports Assembly, an industry member-led association helping advance equity and pro sports. Now, since Molly is already a member, she will have the opportunity and honor to pay it forward to someone in her network. Now, I invite you to follow us on Instagram at Women Blazers to stay connected and to engage with the Women Blazers Network. And look forward to episode 31 featuring Emily Jansen, general manager for Reno Aces of Minor League Baseball and host of Leadership is Female podcast. Until next time, have a wonderful week.